0: Good morning! Good morning, indeed. Good New Year to you. Although that sounds weird. Happy New Year, I think, is the way that it's normally said. Um, my name is Michael Talercio, I'm the pastoral intern at Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It's day 368 of our daily walk through the Bible. We're three days into the new year here, and we're our first day into a new book. We're looking at Mark today. Why don't we ask the Lord's blessing? As we open up his word, let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given us this opportunity in this new year to worship you afresh. Thank you so much, Father, that you've loved us and cared for us throughout this previous year as your people. You've been loving and caring for your people since the very beginning, since you made your people for yourself, Lord. Thank you that we have a rich heritage Uh, as your people, Lord, um, as people who know Jesus. Thank you that we get to look at him today in Mark chapter 1 and be reminded of who your son is, O Father. And we pray, Lord, that we would see him clearly and that we would see uh, not only who he is, but what he has come to do and and what it means for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased." But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. The Gospel of Mark. Here it is. Uh, We're beginning today, and what to say by way of introduction... um, Some people, many people actually nowadays in critical scholarship, think that the Gospel according to Mark is the first of the four Gospels that was written. Um, My own personal thought is, uh, the jury's still out, but I kind of lean more towards Matthew being the first of the four. I think that the way that the four Gospels appear in our Bibles is the chronologically speaking, the the order in which that they were all written. I don't think that's true for all the books in the Bible, but with the gospel accounts, that's that's my personal view. But the reason why many people think that Mark was written first is because it's very bare bones. Uh, It doesn't have a lot of material in it that doesn't appear in Matthew or Luke or even John. And because of that, people think that it's kind of the framework that that the authors of Matthew and Luke and maybe John used it as the framework for their gospel accounts, uh, and so they just kind of built off of the the straightforward components of Mark's gospel uh, and kind of added their own features and other stories. That, that they recall or that they had heard if, if they weren't disciples themselves like Luke, Luke wasn't one of the apostles, at least Luke wasn't an apostle, but, um, neither is Mark. Mark is the, what we, what we believe from church history, uh, from, from Papias. Actually, he, he gave us some important information, some important details about Mark's gospel. One of those pieces of information, uh, which Eusebius records in his church history, um, is that Mark was a disciple, a protege in particular of Peter. He also uh, knew um, Paul. Uh, we believe that in the book of Acts, where we read about John Mark, that that is Mark, the Mark who authored the gospel according to Mark. Uh, and so this man wasn't an apostle himself, but he knew the apostles. He was in with at least two of them and other other close disciples of Jesus. And so what we believe, as, as Papias has handed down throughout church history, one of the early church fathers, Eusebius, recorded for us, what we, what we believe about the Gospel of Mark is that it was um, authorized, so to speak, by one of the apostles, by Peter, that the words that Mark recorded were the words that Peter would have us record. So there is, there is an apostolic, right from one of the apostles, origin story. For this book, just as we'd say that the Gospel of Luke, though written by Luke, who was not an apostle, was, was largely, mainly authored or, or authorized, we might say, by Paul, Luke being a companion of Paul. So the four Gospel accounts, all of them either written by apostles themselves or authorized by apostles. And, and uh, we know Mark uh, being, being that of, of Peter's uh, influence there. Uh, and the reason that that's important is just because we can be sure that the gospel accounts themselves don't teach us or say anything to us uh, or to anyone, whoever reads them, that is different or outside of what Jesus commanded his apostles to do and to teach. Jesus authorized his apostles and the apostolic Crowd there, the apostolic community, to give us his word, an accurate depiction of who he is. The thing that makes Mark unique, beyond just that it's kind of bare bones, are a couple of passages, a couple of features that we're going to read about over time, and we start reading about one of them in today's chapter. Um, we don't get an account in Mark of Jesus's birth or his childhood, like we get. Um, information from in Matthew and Luke. Instead, we jump right into verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And what's interesting is that Mark is giving us this gospel account in the mid-60s, maybe, maybe before then, um, but no sooner really than the, no later than the mid-60s. That is not sooner, no later than the mid-60s. And at that time, Rome was the center of the world, and in particular, Nero was in charge in the mid-60s of Rome. And he was just a corrupt ruler. Uh, There were were other corrupt rulers in Rome's history. Um, But Mark is beginning the gospel account. Mark is beginning his gospel account in verse 1 here. The beginning of his gospel account of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, with a bold statement. Because the word gospel was a a word understood in Roman times to mean good news. It was a word that basically meant uh, that the king has conquered. And the word gospel meant here is news that the king has conquered. He's conquered another army or he's gone and he has been successful in a military campaign. And the gospel is the declaration of that news that the king has conquered. And, And Mark here is telling us that Jesus is that conquering king. This is his gospel. He is the Son of God, a title that was often ascribed to the ruler of Rome, to the Caesar. Mark is making the bold statement here that that is actually Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God, and this is his gospel. And he immediately links the the sonship of Jesus, the Son of God status of Jesus, Uh, the Christ status of Jesus, him being the Messiah. That's the Greek word there for Messiah, Christ. He links this good news account to what was written many centuries before in the prophets. And so we get um, the quotation there from Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, uh, regarding John the Baptist. Uh, So we kind of get a condensed version at the beginning of Mark of what we see over a number of chapters playing out in Matthew and Luke. Um, We get uh, John appearing and baptizing, we get Jesus' baptism here, Um, the temptation of Jesus summed up in just two verses here in this account, whereas in Matthew and Luke, there are larger portions of scripture, more details. We get Jesus obviously enduring the temptation there, and then his death gospel ministry beginning. All within 15 verses, we get that in Mark's account. Um, And in particular, in verses 14 and 15, we learn that Jesus began proclaiming the gospel of God after John was arrested, John the Baptist. And he says, the time is fulfilled. This is the beginning of his ministry. This is how Jesus begins his ministry. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That is how Jesus begins his public ministry. Saying that the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. He's making a statement about himself. It's not just Mark. Jesus is self-consciously mentioning his kingship in a way here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. We have to reject the idea That sometimes comes down to us that Jesus really didn't make a big deal of who he himself was as the Messiah. He didn't really take that title upon his lips. That's what he's doing right here. Jesus is telling us that he sees himself as the one bringing the kingdom of God. Um, Scanning through here. A feature of Mark that we're going to see here maybe we'll maybe we'll just end with this uh, this this feature because I would love to to go on and on here uh, and look in detail at each of these accounts. but since it's chapter one and we're just kind of doing an overview we'll notice one feature of Mark in particular as it is distinguished from Matthew and Luke's account and, and we'll we'll go from there now Mark uses the word immediately immediately right from chapter one he uses this word immediately a number of times i think it's more than half a dozen uh, that he tells us that the spirit immediately drove jesus out into the wilderness and jesus passes along the sea and immediately the the disciples that he calls verse 18 leave their nets and follow him and then verse 21 uh he goes into the the temple uh the Uh, the the synagogue on the Sabbath, and there's immediately on the Sabbath as he enters, uh, he's teaching. uh, Sorry, so verse 21, it uses immediately. He immediately on the Sabbath enters the synagogue and is teaching. And then verse 23, immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. It's just, there's this immediacy to Mark's gospel that he highlights in particular. And I think the reason that he does that if for nothing else, is to show us the authority of Jesus as this son of God, as this one bringing the kingdom of God to earth. This king has authority. And we even see that just from the way that the people around respond, right? In the, in the passage there in the synagogue, the section in the synagogue, verses 21 to 28, the people see Jesus cast out this demon and they say, what is this? A new teaching with authority. So Jesus is coming in on the, the history of Israel as the promised king who's coming, as we mentioned, was predicted already way back in Isaiah and actually many years even before that. He's coming onto to the scene now. He's preaching this gospel that we're going to see more clearly as we go through the book. And he's commanding things. He has authority as the Christ, as the Son of God. And what's he have authority over? Well, we saw that he has authority over unclean spirits. But if we go back even further into the the beginning of the passage we saw that he has authority over the devil right in verses 12 and 13 we've already seen it that was the that was the thing that began jesus's ministry he defeated the devil in the wilderness by refusing his temptations and now he brings that authority onto the scene of, in his public ministry on into israel and really to the ends of the earth which which will play out in time Jesus is bringing that authority that he's demonstrated up front by defeating Satan in the wilderness in the matter of a verse, right? We get that from Mark. It's just in accordance with him showing how, how authoritative Jesus is. It takes just one verse for us to see that Jesus is authoritative over the the very devil himself. And now he's bringing that authority. So he has authority over the devil. He has authority over his minions, the, the demons, uh, that in, that even inhabit people like this man in the in the synagogue. There, uh, we don't want to miss that he has authority over his first disciples. Right, verses sixteen to twenty. He walks by on the sea. He tells people to follow him. They leave everything and they follow him. Right. He has authority over uh, human hearts in that way. Right. Uh, But going on, he has authority, going on from there, verses 29 to 34, he has authority over sickness. He heals Peter's mother-in-law and she immediately gets up and serves him and and the other disciples. And then Jesus makes it clear in verses 35 to 39 that he has come out to preach the gospel. Because the people want to make him known. The the tendency is for the people to want to build up Jesus' reputation and make much of him. But Jesus says, I have to keep moving. I'm here to preach this message. That's not all he's here for, but he is here to preach a message, to preach the gospel. Verse 38. Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And then we see Jesus with his authority over leprosy and all that is actually wrapped up in that leprosy. All the ways that the law bound people like lepers to be outside of the community, in verse 40 to 45, we see Jesus healing this man with compassion, this leper with compassion. And then he says, go, in verse 44, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. And we see the man actually disobeyed Jesus in what the last verse, what happens there, by going out and beginning to talk freely about what Jesus did. So we see Jesus... Mark highlights this in particular. Jesus not ready for everybody to just come to him and to know him. He has a plan and a reason in place for why he doesn't want his name to be lifted up. And one of the reasons is because he doesn't want people to come for him, to him just for what he can do. He has come to preach a message, and it's by that message that people will be set free. We'll see that more um, And he's come to give that message the authority that it needs. Remember this word authority. Jesus is the King. He is the Christ, the Son of God. He's bringing his authority. Let's look forward to how he's going to show that authority and what he's going to do with it as we look at the rest of Mark's gospel in the future here. But let's pray. For today, Father, thank you that you have given us this look at Mark chapter 1. It is a picture of your son's power over everything, Lord, in miniature here. We see it in miniature in these few small spheres. He has authority over people. He has authority over demons. He has authority over sickness. Uh, we're going to see next time his authority over nature, Lord. It's, it's just amazing uh, how immediately we get to see this from the gospel of Mark. And we pray, Father, that we would enjoy Jesus as we go throughout this this book, Lord, that we would enjoy his authority and that we would submit to it in our enjoyment of it, that it would go hand in hand. We would enjoy submitting to Jesus, the King. Please, we pray this for his glory and that he would be lifted up as King in our lives. In his name we pray, amen. Well, with this brief look at Jesus's authority over all of these different aspects of life, I hope you will go confidently out into the day Submitting to Him with joy, as the King, as the one in charge of everything, and immediately taking on whatever He puts before you with trust in Him. Go well, brothers and sisters.